Reality shows are now a staple of television, whether broadcast or streamed. They're cheaper to produce than scripted shows and provide more emotional punch than game shows. They attract large audiences and help distract us from the realities of our lives. They're also highly profitable, but they are not real. Like so many innovations in America, they came from somewhere else. While people trace their origins back to Candid Camera in the 1950s, the PBS series, and American Family in 1973, the idea of putting strangers together for fun frolics and schadenfreude emerged in the Netherlands in the 1990s. There were some early efforts in the U.S. soon after, but the real spread and growth here was accelerated by a scriptwriter's strike in 2005. The strike stopped a number of scripted shows from continuing, and reality shows were a workaround that helped keep the major broadcast networks profitable for over a year. Once the dispute was settled, however, reality TV was established across the spectrum. In 2003, NBC began production of The Apprentice, introducing Middle America to the real estate tycoon Donald Trump. New Yorkers were very familiar with the Donald because of his buildings and appearances on talk radio, especially on Howard Stern's show. But now we could all watch as contestants vied to fulfill their weekly assignments and get the prize of a six-figure job in the Trump Organization. Trump was a reality show producer's dream, opinionated, bombastic, and impulsive. Many times over the next several seasons, they had to re-edit segments to make them coherent because Trump would quixotically change his mind and surprise everyone. While they weren't scripted, meaning that actors had lines to recite, they were written with plot lines and surprises embedded in the action by writers paid for their work. As one put it later, all the rules of good writing go out the window because Hollywood loves superlatives and adjectives and they really, really very much love their intensifiers and exclamation points because we want it to be exciting. Sound familiar? It should. We're living inside a reality TV show, despite the fact that it's not make-believe. It just seems unreal. In fact, we've been conditioned by now to focus on the tweet and the profane soundbite rather than the actions of our government leaders. Like the cat following the point of a laser light on the floor, we neglect the hand moving the source. We chase phantoms and react to provocations rather than follow the source of the action. Mark Felt, better known as the Watergate character Deep Throat, famously advised to follow the money if you wanted to find the truth. The advice still works. This week, many liberals like me were heartened by Delta and American Airlines stopping discounts to NRA members. Walmart and Dick's Sporting Goods stores now require gun buyers to be 21 years old. Dick's announced that they will no longer sell AR-15s. Why a sporting goods store thought it appropriate to sell battlefield-ready weapons is beyond my understanding. But these corporations were foregoing the revenue that they might have gained by taking these actions. Good for them. But that's not the full picture. On January 1st, the United States began operating under new tax regulations from the tax cut passed by Congress and signed into law by Donald Trump. What does that mean for workers? Well, the Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, tweeted that a Pennsylvania school secretary now gets to take home an extra $1.50 a week. That amounts to a princely sum of $78 for the whole year. After significant online mockery, he took the post down. But that's a piece of the reality of the, quote, biggest tax cut in history. So much for the laser point of light. What about the rest of the story? So far this year, American workers have received $5.6 billion in bonuses and pay raises because of the tax law. That's a lot of money. 
And if you stacked 5.6 billion $1 bills, it would reach 380 miles, a respectable spot in Earth orbit. But let's pull back a bit and look at other consequences of the tax cut. In the same period, the first two months of this year, American corporations spent $171 billion in buying back stock, increasing their share value and reducing the number of owners of their companies. 30 times as much money has gone into buyback schemes as worker bonuses and wage hikes. So what? Aside from the fact that $171 billion $1 bills stacked one on top of another puts us over 11,000 miles in orbit above the Earth, well on our way to a geostationary orbit, those dollars only serve to make the people who own those companies worth more. These are generally wealthy individuals who will see their wealth increase because of the current and soon-to-come buybacks. 1% of Americans own 40% of all stocks. The vast preponderance of the rewards of the tax cuts perversely goes to those who don't need them and will struggle with how to use them. These are significant amounts of money changing hands. In a very real sense, our money. But what's our collective national reaction? Oh, 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 this is boring. It's too much math. I want to go outside. I want to watch TV. Give me back my phone. We focus on the antics and not the actions. Our news media, especially the cable news programs, profile events as though we are living in a reality TV show. Who's off the island? Or, I mean, the White House this week. Who just got fired personally by the president? Actually, Trump has only fired three people directly. Michael Flynn, his first national security advisor over actions relating to Russians. James Comey, the FBI director over actions relating to Russians. And Preet Bahara the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York, for no stated reason, but that office does investigate money laundering, including that by Russian criminal syndicates. Hmm. Could be a pattern. Everyone else who has left the White House or the executive branch did so through resignation or retirement, but reporters focus on who's in and who is out. Why? It's all about eyeballs and clicks. News organizations, particularly those on television, rely on the size of their audiences to sell advertising. But these days, you've got to look a little wider. Those sales are targeted more than ever in history. Facebook offers a highly curated audience for its advertisers because Facebook members have revealed so much about themselves. It's the perfect advertising venue. They know your name, your age, your gender, your interests, your friends, your enthusiasms, all the demographic and behavioral information they need to pitch you the perfect product or service, at least in theory. The AI algorithms still need work, but they're getting it. Okay, I digress. Winning the next news cycle has replaced reality as likes and retweets replace substantive reporting and thoughtful reflection. We now have trivialized politics as a reality show where tweets of the president outweigh the time and attention we put into his policies. Our news industry and truth are not the only victims. We are. As Americans, we enjoy the theoretical right to vote without hindrance. Well, mostly. But that access for women, people of color, poor people, has been won with the real cost of lives and injury. John Lewis was beaten senseless because he had the temerity to assert his right to vote. Medgar Evers paid an even higher price because he stood for the same right. What do we say to all the people who have suffered so much so that we can exercise our right to vote, despite the 12 ring circus of distractions that passes for news today? What do we say to those real heroes? Stop watching the laser on the floor. Look at the hand wielding it. Better yet, 
look where the wielder's eyes are looking. Then you may see a bit of the truth.